The following podcast is brought to you by iSelect Fund. iSelect is dedicated to helping investors create a diversified portfolio of venture investments through their financial advisors. Learn how to start your own venture portfolio today by visiting iSelectFund.com. Recent graduates account for over half of all entry-level hires, yet corporations struggle to effectively recruit millennials. Traditional recruiting methods such as career fairs and job boards are ineffective and misaligned with how millennials operate. On today's podcast, we discuss how startup company Better Weekdays is reducing friction in the talent acquisition process with their interactive platform that provides tools and services, improving the hiring process for students, colleges, and employers. This is Carter Williams, CEO of iSelect with Chris Motley. Hello, how are you? Welcome, Chris. Uh, Chris is one of iSelect's portfolio companies and the CEO of Better Weekdays. Uh, Better Weekdays is is a software application that uh, helps corporations with entry-level hires. A very, very novel approach. Uh, Their story is very, very interesting. Uh, Chris, could you just give the audience a a picture of what Better Weekdays does, you know, 30 seconds, a minute on fundamentally sure. what you're doing. Sure. Well, the our flagship application is called The Weather, and uh, we really take an approach of inbound recruiting uh, to this process. So the traditional methods of recruiting college students is an outbound approach like going to a career fair or having a career website that you're trying to draw people to. Uh, and we've created an application that allows companies to engage uh, and nurture talent to convince them to apply. Uh, and by doing that, you really open up discovery of the most relevant opportunities to college students, especially given the fact that they've never uh, done a traditional job search. So you've really taught me something in this process of trying to under, of learning as we've invested in your company um, that I think I already knew this. Millennials are a bit different. I mean, I remember in college recruiting, this <laughs> is 1989. <laughs> I sort of knew the companies and, you know, I was in engineering and trying to figure out what I needed to do and pretty much right. knew the companies we were targeting at. But you, you've told me that a lot of millennials who might be graduating in a degree don't really know what the opportunities are in their market, which just is mind-boggling yeah. to me. Help me help me and the audience understand what, what for the today's student graduating, you know, our listeners' children, perhaps, what... What is sort of different about that that recruiting process than in the past? Yeah, I, I think there's a number of things that are different, but there are also things that are exactly the same. So the exact same sameness in the experience is you want to work for somewhere, for a company that will uh, develop your career, your professional life, so that you can kind of build a good life, right? It's this exact same thing that people want today as in the past. However, you just think about the S&P 500. I mean, the companies that compose the S&P are very different than even 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about the previous generation where folks worked at companies for 20, 30 years, uh, you can easily lose touch on what the opportunities are to give the advice to your kids. And so you have the confluence of technology, uh, a different way of discovering all products and services, and so that would extend naturally to jobs, um, as well as sort of the democratization of information. and technology has developed in such a way where a lot of companies exist now 
uh, that provide great opportunities for students, but they all have this marketing problem of raising that awareness. And now you've also taught me that that marketing problem is, you know, I'm Emerson, I'm a worldwide leader, Mm -hmm. I'm an extraordinarily well-run company, but the chance that a millennial has any idea what (laughs) I, Emerson, does is a number approaching zero. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the other thing you've taught me, which I'd love you to help expand on, is is that Emerson doesn't know how to – I don't mean to pick on Emerson because I love Emerson, but I'll I'll use him as an example – that – Emerson doesn't exactly know how to speak millennial. The HR person at Emerson sort of is trying to tell people why they should come work for Emerson. But you found that there's a better way to help that uh, that student Correct. really comprehend in their context, they, the student's context, what Emerson does. Can you can you help us understand that? Yeah, so I think it's two points there. I think I think one point is is that a company as large as Emerson may have a brand association in engineering, uh, but they have a tremendous number of jobs that there's no association for college students for those types of jobs. Um, another example can be BJC uh, here in St. Louis, where two-thirds of their jobs have nothing to do with being a healthcare this practitioner. This is like, uh, the largest hospital system in St. Louis. BJC. It is the lar- largest employer in St. Louis. And again, you know, most of their open jobs have nothing to do with being a healthcare practitioner. So you think BJC, you think hospitals, nurses, doctors, et cetera, but you don't think about all those opportunities. So part of it is um, it, it, companies may not have a consumer-facing brand, so the, the, the awareness is approaching zero with millennials, or companies have such a strong brand in an area where they have other positions that are hard to fill simply because you don't think about it. An easy example is Apple. Uh, it may be obvious now, but three, four, five years ago, their biggest, most hardest to fill position was retail because most people thought design, engineering, software development, not people to man the app store, uh, the Apple store. Uh, so that's the first point. Uh, strong brands create an association or the lack of brand awareness uh, creates a situation where there's just no awareness whatsoever. The second point is language. Uh, I mean, you taught me, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, you have to kind of talk about your business in the most basic language, right? So we help employers recruit college students easier, right? How we do it, it gets more complicated and, and that sort of thing. But it's the same is true in recruiting. We live in our companies and in our lives, and we're so ingrained that we don't use simple language to uh, describe what we do. An example is a company in town called Worldwide Technology, and, and Worldwide Technology is a, a systems integrator. Now, you know, I'm almost 36 years old, and it took me a long time to understand what a systems integrator was, which basically means that that situation is magnified uh, for someone in a college campus. If instead Worldwide said, help us help our customers find and implement the best technology, well, that's something that anybody can understand. Uh, and that is the core of the issue, that we are speaking a certain language as business people or as recruiters that just doesn't register to someone in college who is uh, pursuing the job search or the internship search for the very first time, and they use completely different language. So the other thing I've learned is this is a big problem. They're high unemployment in the the young graduates. They they want a job. Mm -hmm. That uh, the numbers are sort of shocking that 
the hiring process, I, I guess, for, for graduates, college graduates is, and corporations spend as much as $8 billion a year in that process? Yeah, it's actually super interesting. And, and this is like the, the I mean, it's, I laugh every time I think about it because the major industry association uh, does a survey amongst employers who recruit college students. And one of the questions they asked was, you know, how do you recruit college students? And most of the companies, their number one uh, activity is a career fair. Then they asked, how effective do you find the career fairs? And 72% uh, of all employers found career fairs ineffective. And you juxtapose that to that number you just said, which is $8 billion spent trying to hire college students. So almost everybody agrees that what they do now don't work or doesn't work, uh, yet they spend an incredible amount of money on it each year. And so that's what we see the white space as being uh, to, to dominate it and sort of, sort of redefine how students discover opportunities and how those organizations discover talent. And it's that, I'm getting it, that it's that discovery process. So they, the corporations spend $8 billion a year running career fairs or, or whatever the routine is. They've mm -hmm. sort of done this year over year and it's like, oh, let's run another career fair. So they're spending $8 billion a year doing that. And only 74% of the applicants disappear somewhere along the line of, I guess, when they first start getting engaged with the corporation. Well, it's the application and, and process. Yeah, I mean, 74% of people who start an application process drop off somewhere along the way. and Because they're not qualified or they, they, they well, lose, well, lose part of attention it is, on what... Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, part of it is the, the, I don't know the last time you applied for a job, but it's a pretty arduous process. And if you barely... That's the great thing about doing venture and being entrepreneurs. <laughs> you never have to apply for a job. <laughs> good, good, good you just point. keep making the jobs up. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I'll tell you one thing. We, we all hate uh, doing more work. And if a company makes it very cumbersome to apply to their job, the most talented people will choose to do something easier. So what's interesting about that stat, you know, 74% of people dropping out in the application process is that that doesn't even include the people who may be considering your company but choose not to apply. And it also doesn't include the people who don't even know your company exists. So it's a lot of waste um, that's, that's in the system. And I think that what we have built is uh, reducing a lot of that waste and, and that friction in the current process. So I'm a corporation, and we certainly know this as entrepreneurs. We know that people are absolutely the most important asset at the end of the day Without a walk, doubt. your your most, most important asset walks out the door and hopefully walks back the next day um if i'm corporation i'm spending eight billion dollars and what you're basically telling me is the people who i want to employ either are not even don't even know to apply to my job mm -hmm. or apply to the job and somehow get pushed away because I'm not communicating with them in an effective and compelling manner. And so my $8 billion investment is... In aggregate, obviously. In all, aggregate. All companies, is, yep. is misplaced. And so for a company like an Emerson or somebody like that or BJC, how much do they spend on this? Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the cost per hire from an entry-level perspective is about $4,000. That's reported by... An entry-level. An entry-level. So this is somebody that you're paying 15 20 bucks an hour... Or equivalent of you know, $45,000 a year, roughly. Okay. 
when you think about the staffing industry. So 10%, roughly 10% of their their first year salary cost. You're, you're exactly right. It's a good way to think person. about it. And if you think about, well, what is the upcharge for someone who has experience? Uh, and the staffing firms have pretty much set this, this, this uh, pricing model or structure. Uh, it's 20 to 30% of the starting salary uh, for an experience level uh, higher based on their, their model. And, and that's a huge opportunity for us, we see, because at the entry level, it's roughly 10%. Um, uh, of a starting salary, but our pricing model is such where it's much less than that. So, I mean, how much, how much do you reduce that by? Oh my God! I mean, so if I'm a, I'm sitting here and I'm the head of HR or something. I, I'm the person who makes this buy decision, and I'm yeah. saying I'm gonna spend money on career fairs, and my current existing system it's four thousand dollars per, ten percent per hire. But Chris has now come in and said. He's got to offer his solution. What is? Yeah, so our pricing model is, is first of all, it's all within the context of inbound recruiting. So it's something you do all the time. You're always recruiting. And if you want to engage millennials, it's about creating and distributing content that speaks the language of the millennials and meets them where they are. So that's an ongoing process. And so as such, we charge a subscription uh, that starts off at $500 a month, and it kind of goes up from there depending on the, the company size. So for an average company uh, that's paying us, let's say, $12,000 annually, well, this is for unlimited job postings, both for internships and full-time jobs, which basically translates to unlimited hires off of our platform. So you can easily see a case where your cost per hire of entry-level talent is less than 1000 Uh A lot of people say- So I'm paying 4000 and and you give me the option to start to bring that price down to something like 1000 or much Or less than that. And- and I'm also getting a more engaged, more interested, so a more interested employee. Yeah, and I, and I think that the engaged part is important whether someone becomes an employee or not. Because let's say you're enterprise rent a car and you have been nurturing someone to help them understand how they could be successful in your organization. And for whatever reason, you don't hire them. Well, you just gave them a great candidate experience. So A, they're more likely to rent a car from you the next time they go out of town, and B, they're more likely to recommend your company to others. Uh, Starbucks is, is a, was a pioneer in this space. I mean, they're selling you know, $5 cups of water. No, no offense to Starbucks. The point is, Starbucks had one of the best interviewing processes of, of many companies because at the end of the day, they still wanted you to buy that very expensive cup of coffee. Uh, and so this whole notion of candidate experience is a very big trend these days, and I think it's, it's really put our business in the sweet spot because you improve the candidate experience by communicating with them in a relevant and, and engaging way. And relevant and engaging. You speak millennial, it shows up on their iPhone, they can sort of check it. You've got a new version of your application, they can sort of, you call check it the weather. weather. You can yeah, check, they you check, can check on a regular basis. So, hey, my girlfriend is moving to St. Louis, I want to find a job sort of doing what I like to yeah, do. Yeah, so check the weather in St. Louis, exactly. And, and what's interesting about it is it's, it's, it's all about personalizing career pathways. Uh, and, and it's a very subtle but important point because sometimes you just don't have the skill for a job. But what about the school or certificate program you can enroll in to upskill yourself? Uh, well, that's sitting right next to the job you may aspire to have. And so that holistic experience that we've created um, that can personalize not only the job or the internship, but relevant events in the future, mentors, uh, or ways that you can upskill yourself, I think, is, is part of the winning combination that really 
helps to generate increasingly more and more engagement. So that as you as you continue to expand on this, you'll be able to give them some insights to 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 show them, hey, here are other people that worked at BJC or in the field to get some perspective. Well, we, we take it we take it even deeper than that. We we will basically say, here's a day in the life at BJC. Here's an example of an executive profile of someone who went to your alma mater. Um, here's a person who's already opted in to be your mentor who works at BJC and they're like a second year associate, so they're very much like you, versus matching you with some 20 year executive who really doesn't, uh, his day in the life is very different than yours would be, yeah. let's just say that. And so if I'm the person running this decision at some place like BJC, you're telling me one, you can get my cost acquisition down. Two, I'm gonna engage with those folks in a more meaningful way, in a way you can understand what BJC is looking at, but you also exactly. understand the language of the young people and you can sort of help them make sure that, that it's a job match both ways. Yeah, BJC so you, you, can be sure they're right. Exactly they right. Can, exactly right. I mean, BJC is increasing their brand exposure. Uh, they're doing so in a way that is talking about their company culture and, and what's valued there. That attracts the most relevant people who care about that sort of thing. Uh, it improves the candidate experience uh, so that each candidate and hopefully new employee will be very engaged at your company, which is a whole other kind of part to this. And, and ultimately, they become a net promoter of your, of your company, right? Everybody knows that the best source per hire or source of hire is referrals. Um, it works better at larger companies and smaller companies, but it, it's uh, the biggest uh, driver of how talent shifts from one organization to another. The problem is in universities, uh, you don't have a network, not professionally. And so that's, that's broken down. So you have to have, uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity, I guess a, a different way of saying it, for a company, uh, again, to create and distribute content to meet people where they are uh, because they don't have that referral to help understand what that company is about. Yep. So companies can play an active role in that process. So we invested in you in part, but certainly because the core business model makes sense. Um, as we look at what we call the gig economy, an explanation we have for why there's an employment displacement is what I call an impedance mismatch. Mm -hmm. right? I'm an engineer, so everything's a, an engineering thing, but an impedance mismatch in which companies don't know how to find the right people, students don't know how to connect with the right company. And that if we can help those folks understand better how to match, right. we, get, we get better performance. Now you, well the other reason we invest in startups is because uh, the person leading it is an awesome entrepreneur <laughs> and you. has incredible resilience. And you, uh, they get more personal. How did you, you got a very interesting story about how you landed here and, yeah. and I've always, I, I love the kind of resilience that you've pursued. Can you tell me, tell the audience a little bit more about how you got here? Sure, and, and on the resilience point, I, I don't know if I could take total credit for that. I think it comes down you know, to how I was raised. I mean, you know, I'm a son of a, a teenage mom in the south side of Chicago. You talk about resilience, that's, that's, where, that's where it comes from. Uh, but I grew up in a household that while it, we weren't rich in terms of uh, money, it was very rich in love. 
And, and my mom recognized very early on that if she provided me with opportunities that gave me access to people or information or other resources, that I can probably increase my chances of being successful. So one of the most formative things I think that I experienced was I was a part of this program uh, when I was in seventh or eighth grade called A Better Chance. And this organization basically helps to match inner city youth with college preparatory boarding schools more than more often than not uh, that are sort of feeder schools into the top universities of the country. I gotta say, you know a guy named Frankie Cruz? I do know that name. He was a classmate of mine. Get out. I, yeah. Small I, for, world. When you, I didn't realize we were part of our Better Chance because he was, doesn't, is he still with our Better Chance? Or? Well, I mean, I look at it as a, as a lifetime thing. Uh, I mean, it, it, it starts He was off, part of it and went to a boarding school with me and ended up leading part of ABC, I thought. I never knew that. Okay, keep going. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a phenomenal program. And the, the alumni list of, you know, the Deval Patricks or Marty Nesbitt, you know, oh, really? one of Obama's I best friends. That. Yeah, they're all a better chance alum, so really? very high expectations. <laughs> but but the point is, is that I think it also proves how that model works. Uh, the point is, is that you can see matching to opportunity and access to opportunity has been a theme. And there's you know ten stories after that which has sort of the same dynamic. Uh, I think what's interesting about it is uh, programs like a better chance. There's many others served a very important purpose in the community because this is the era of pre-Facebook and pre-social media. Even when I came from high school to college, post-college, this is all prior to so social this media. Is 2003 is when I graduated from Columbia in New York. Okay. Uh, and so this is three years or so before Facebook uh, was, was launched. The point I'm making is, is that when you had organizations like this that did in a very manual way what my product does today, right? Um, it's very, very effective. The difference between then and now is that you have social media. So you have the apparent access to anything you want. Uh, and that's not necessarily the case. It still goes down to relevance and personalization um, and access to opportunities to sort of meet your strengths and values. Uh, so I think many of these organizations, while they still serve a very important role, I think they find themselves trying to figure out how they stay relevant this day and age, right? But anyway, I'm off subject. The point is, is that... Well, it uh, sounds like you were the beta for your application. <laughs> oh, of, of course. Every, everything, everything comes or out Or the of, alpha. Uh, <laughs> I mean, everything comes out of personal experience, uh, you know, either directly or what, you, what you've seen frustrates other people. And so for me, you know, I went to this college prep boarding school. I met different people, access to opportunities. I then was in another program over the summer, uh, called the LEAD Program in Business. And it was at Columbia University, so no doubt why I ended up going to uh, Columbia. And one of the speakers was this gentleman who was a trader at Goldman Sachs. And, and I said, well, what's your job? He says, well, I buy low and I sell high. And I make <laughs> a lot of money. And I said, well, legally? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, I could do that. And, and, and the point is, is I didn't grow up in a place where you even knew what your legal trading is. There was a yep. lot of trading in the South Side, but not of, not of oil and other commodities that are legal commodities. And the, and the point is, you can't be what you haven't seen. So when you think about uh, the folks in this country in colleges and universities, uh, they don't see the opportunities. I mean, who goes to the universities to recruit? Large companies. But who creates the most jobs in this country? Middle market companies. And they're at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, and so it opens up a huge opportunity, which I, which I think 
leads to that stat you mentioned earlier about the 8% unemployment with millennials. It's, it's a structural unemployment. They're not seeing the opportunities and vice versa. And so there has to be uh, some facilitator in the middle, which is the weather is... is, is, is uh, and someone is separate. And I mean, if a corporation sort of tries to, each corporation tries to do this, it's something different than saying, look, I've got a trusted partner. It's going to be, you know, we're going to use the weather. They're the people who understand how to get this point across. And we're going to team to go get the best people. Exactly right. I think you have certain markets where you have to have a platform. Uh, you know, dating, right? There has to be a platform that could facilitate that. There are not many. I mean, there, even if there's 10 or 15 or 20 apps that do this, that's not a lot when you think about yeah. the many amount of people. Uh, you know, Facebook plays a very important uh, purpose. Even when they first came out, it was, it was really cool to know who, was, who, was else, who else was in your community. I think the same is true in the job space. When you have so much information out there these days, you have to kind of pare that down to the most salient points to understand how to manage your career. And today, nothing does that. Nothing does it in the market for college students. And I'm always waiting for someone to challenge me on that point because it may be the source of a new innovation uh, or it may mean I need to pack my bags up and <laughs> go home. Well, but you, so you went from Columbia, you end up at Goldman, you're hanging around people that, you know, if you get into that track, you, gazillions of dollars. Yeah. And you left? Well, the, the goal was to, uh, well, yes, I left. Uh, but, but the goal was to understand how to make money. And the goal was to, you know, prove to myself that I can compete at the highest levels. Uh, but when you see how much money you make for an organization, and you see the drivers of, of wealth creation, you know, you almost owe it to yourself to figure out how to do it your, on your own. And, and, that's, and that's what I did. Um, they taught me everything I know from a, a data and analytics perspective. I mean, it's it's pretty intense environment and building a, a company culture and that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, one of the reasons why I went to work for Goldman, people used to ask me this question. And I said, well, I want to work at a place where I can make the most money in the shortest amount of time and if I don't like it, I could still have any other job in the world. And, uh, and I, I think that's the logic of students should take these days, quite frankly. Uh, the point is, is that I didn't forget how to trade. I didn't forget how to value companies and do the traditional banker things. So at, at 25 years old, I had a business idea that I thought had some legs to it and um, in, the, in the manufacturing space, and then I pursued it. And because it was learning and it was building important tools in the toolkit that I thought would be important to build uh, a significant business. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I <laughs> try to stay focused on the craft of, of building things that are ultimately useful uh, versus sort of facilitating transactions, which, you know, is not that fun in the grand scheme of things. And so we just have a moment more. If we were to interview you again, let's say a year from now or two years from now, what do you want to be able to say? What is it you want to be able to say to the market or yourself? Yeah, that we are, the weather is the best place uh, for students to discover the most relevant opportunities and the best place for university recruiters to discover the most relevant talent. I mean, if we achieve that, we'll, we'll create a significant, significant business, and uh, that's exactly what we, we focus on, and that's what we, you know, as, as Warren Buffett says, that's I tap dance to work every day because it's a it's a noble it's a noble vision. So, you help create jobs, 
you help reduce the cost for a BJC to find the best people, you're a hardworking entrepreneur, you know, for the people out there listening, you know, this is the kind of thing that transforms industries. Yeah. And Chris is the kind of guy that does it. So we will have you back. Thanks again for your time. Thank you very much. Very kind and, of you. Uh, it was great, great having this conversation. Likewise. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Anarchy. To subscribe, go to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for more conversations about venture, innovation, and entrepreneurship 